Create an Unstoppable Life, episode 191. Create an Unstoppable Life is all about mindset for the high achiever to help you build a life of fulfillment and freedom. I'm your host, Dina George, MD, a mindset and marketing coach and a family medicine physician. It's an honor to spend time with you today. Jillian, welcome back. It's so nice to see you, Dina. I got to say, this book is dense. Uh huh. I feel like I can just take this little tiny bite at a time. And then I notice my mind starts wandering because it's like every sentence or two is just packed with wisdom or a piece of truth or just something important. And wow. I agree. I think it's one that is meant to sit on. And when I was doing the exercises, I started to actually like, not just read them, but actually did one. I think it was the protective, something that we've read in these chapters we'll be talking about today. There's an exercise that you really harness your protective self-compassion and like have an empowerment. And I was like, wow, that was a powerful exercise. But with so much to read, I didn't really give myself a chance to lean into those until more recently. Like, wait, these are actually like super good. What do you think? Yeah, I think so too. I did one of them and I, I remember it. it's almost like going into a different world, like a different part of the brain and either quieting it or accessing something new. Cause I know like when I get stuck in my thoughts, I can only take myself so far. And generally it's like a brick wall that I hit at the end. I'm like, why did I do that again? Yeah. So I really appreciate the exercises that offer a new way of thinking or relaxing or seeing myself or just accessing something that doesn't, doesn't feel accessible, like kindness when things are difficult. Yeah. And understanding why we developed certain patterns in our brain. I always, you know, when we're thinking about perfectionism, she talks about maladaptive protect, uh, perfectionism and adaptive perfectionism. I know I'm kind of jumping it because this was in the uh, later chapters that we're going over today, but she talks about the fear of being lazy, right? And so as hardworking people, this comes up a lot, right? Like we're afraid to give ourselves self-compassion and rest because we're afraid that it's somehow <laughs> going to make us lazy and unmotivated. So what we do is we try to stimulate our motivation with all this negative self-talk and it works to a point and then it increases your anxiety and you have this performance anxiety, some procrastination. Like, yeah, I would definitely relate to what she's saying and how I thought you always had to beat yourself up, uh, beat yourself up. Yeah. To build, build a thicker skin. Yeah. I, I bought into that too, during medical school. Like I was studying most of the time cause I had to get better cause I wasn't smart enough and it took me four years to get into med school. So I had to work harder and I really had to prove that I deserved to be there. And it, all it was, was the internal judgment. So if you would have told me during that time, you got to let your foot off the gas because you cannot stay at a hundred miles an hour the whole time. I've been like, you're ridiculous. Cause if I do that, I'm going to fail. I mean, such yeah. a good example of that all or nothing thinking it has to be this way. Cause if it's not the 180 degrees is the only other option. I relate to that. So I had a boyfriend in dental school who would say to me, when you're with me, you're not with me because I would be thinking about everything I needed to be doing and have guilt for not being doing what I needed to do for school and not really appreciating and honoring that being with him and taking my mind off school was the best way to sustain 
I work in dental school, but I would be in the lab. So different from medicine where you have lab work to do. So you could be in the lab and there's no real end to lab work. There's not like I learned it all. I got through all of the documents that we have to study all the lectures we have. It's like it's subjective. You could be there all day. And I for sure was. Yeah. Like how many times did you walk away and go, I think I'm dumber. Uh, I definitely, so funny thing, you know, in, in so dentistry, you have crown preps, right? If you're going to get a crown, we prep your tooth and the more exhausted I'd get. So if you have a burr and you use the same burr to drill the person's tooth, which wasn't a person, it's a dentiform. So fake tooth, it, it starts to create this brown mark because you need to switch your burr, but I just be, keep going, keep going. And they would progressively get worse because you're just so tired. You're using old burrs. And I'm like, this is definitely counterproductive, <laughs> but you just feel like if you leave, then you feel guilty that you're not there practicing. Yeah. There's always more to do. As I think about the book, the summary for me is that tender com- self-compassion is great, but we don't have to live a life where we just basically cope with whatever we're experiencing. That's where the fierce comes in. It's like, no, it's action and it's taking care of yourself. It's setting boundaries and it's making sure that that they align, that they're your own, that this is an authentic way that you're living and maneuvering in the world. And I really appreciate that. Like, We don't just have to sit back and take it. This is our life and it is something that can feel exciting. It is something that can be renewed at any stage of life, no matter what mud we have either been drugged through or we drug ourselves through. Like we can experience renewal and excitement and genuine curiosity and kindness. And we can, we can move through whatever it is and we can experience really deep meaning and really deep fulfillment. Yeah. And when you were saying about you know, not just sitting and, and like, oh, woe is me, right? <laughs> like always recovering, always recovering from pain, right? Always sitting in the pain. What I was imagining as you're saying that it's kind of like having that person, even within your head, that inner bully that you're constantly apologizing, but not changing anything, right? So if you're just always just, oh, like, oh, I'm so sorry. And you're sitting in that, I'm so sorry, I hurt you like to yourself, but you don't change anything then like, I have people in my life that, you know, they don't mean it when they say I'm sorry, and they don't change their behaviors. And that's a really, it's just like irks me to the core. Like, but we do that to ourselves if we only offer ourselves that tender self-compassion, but the fierce self-compassion is like, and I'm going to protect myself. So I don't have that done to me again, or I don't do it to myself again. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think what's it is it flows over because if we're able to do it for ourselves and we're able to recognize it in ourselves, then we're able to recognize and offer that within our friendships too. I know that there are times that I need, I may need or want, and maybe they're synonymous, a fierce friend to just come on in, <laughs> get a little dirty and be like, let's move. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Let's move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you were talking too about the values. So, you know, when we're thinking about core values and trying to decipher if our values align with like our true values or the values that we think we should hold, because that's what we were taught. Uh, yeah. She talks about like, how do we feel after we do something, right? If it was aligning with our values, then we should be feel like inner joy. So say so the example she gives is like doing uh, something where you're volunteering your time. 
And if you lead, you know, you leave that and you feel good. And, and that was something that was in alignment with where your values are. You should leave energized and fulfilled versus if you did it because you felt like you should, then you usually leave frustrated or drained mm-hmm. and to check in with your emotional state after you do something. Cause there's definitely a lot of things in my life that I'm like, yeah, that should be a value of mine, but is it an authentic value at this moment? And if not, um, sometimes things that I wish were my values, there's something blocking me like a traumatic experience or something that I have related to that. So I know we don't talk a lot on public places about religion, but I will give an example that's um, surface level. Like if I have somebody that's hurt me, that's of a particular religion that once, once I believed, then I relate my religious practices to that experience. And so detaching it and, and reclaiming it has been an important part of my healing journey because otherwise I'm like that person, I think sometimes I have a spiritual void and I, I see, oh, it was, I was protecting myself because I've had this complex relationship with my spirituality based on this human experience with this person who is uh, quite destructive on the spiritual path. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we've talked about Tracy O'Connell and and we've talked to her and, and, kind of threw out the line that said, Hey, Tracy, why don't you come back? And the three of us have a conversation as a follow-up on combining fear, self-compassion, shame, guilt, betrayal, like that whole mix of stuff. And so I really hope she does. Yeah. (laughs) And one of the things that she and I touched on is, is betrayal when it comes to religion and wow. I mean, it's, that could fill decades of conversation and it totally makes sense. There are many people who feel betrayed when God or their version, whatever, whatever term is, is used against them. And boy, that, that never helps with healing. People are not healed through shame and guilt. And it's the same with our patients. We can shame and guilt them and that may change a behavior, but it's when we love them, when we see them, when we see the pain that they're experiencing, that's when the opportunity for change, true change lasting change, growing change has the opportunity to occur. And it's, what do you want? You know, you were saying, what do you want? And that patient and us is like, what do you want? And how often do you ask yourself that? What do you want and what do you need? Right, right. I I noticed that a lot when it comes to hospital medicine, the patient can tell me what the bottle says on the medication. It says, take it twice a day, but that doesn't tell me what they believe. And it doesn't tell me what they practice. So do they believe in the medicine? Do they believe in the medicine as it is written? And then are they practicing that every day? So they can tell me what they think they want to hear, but that's not ever going to help their health. And that's where like breaking down the barriers of having a real conversation, they cannot disappoint me. It's not possible. I am here to serve them. I can serve them better when the information is just offered or when the information is clear or when, when there is a lack of clarity that we get to what's real and what's important. And we, and we acknowledge that there are barriers there and it may be, I hate the disease and I want to take the medicine. Okay. Let's talk about it. Let's walk with that because I, I can commiserate with you. What else can we do rather than just sit in this place? Like, let's talk about it. Let's sit in this place, but let's not stay here because that's not going to serve you. And, and aligning their values with what they want. So 
the thing about like, you know, that the medication is going to help them with their condition. And if we associate it to a value of theirs, say, I want to be around for my family. Well, this medication can help you avoid this type of event because it's lowering your risk, usually a cardiovascular event, right? And so that you can be with your family more. So I take this medication, not for my disease, but for my family, for my time with my family and really understanding what motivates people in a way that would, they can understand why they're doing something that's not so medical terminology, right? All the time. Yeah. And one of the chapters in this part talks about for us, how do we acknowledge or how do we identify what we want? Because going back to what we were talking about earlier, something sounds like a good idea. It sounds like it should be good or fun for us or, or enriching. But the reality is we can't know until we experience it. And it's really important that even if it sounds good, that we do that after action review and see, okay, now that I know what I know, now that I've had this experience, does it resonate? Is this helping me be more of who I want to be? Or is this, is this lifting me up or pulling me down? Like really getting honest with that so that our life becomes this progressive tearing down the barriers so that we don't have to arm up. We can take care of ourselves no matter what. And we can also navigate and have more discernment for what it is we want to experience and go more towards that and take care of ourselves no matter what happens when we do that. The image that you're, you're making me think of is like keeping yourself safe. So one thing for me, uh, you know, she relates the book to when people develop self-compassion, they can reduce their risk of developing PTSD after a traumatic event versus if you're having a whole bunch of inner negative talk or, you know, things that can really exacerbate that symptom. One thing in my healing journey from, you know, my eating disorder was thinking I never felt safe in my body. I was really, it's still a really hard place. It's like a, you know, I think about it's probably one of my biggest obstacles. So if you don't feel safe in your own mind or in your own body, how do you show up in the world? And that's been a barrier for me when I think about social events. It's like, it's not the people at the event. It's, I don't feel safe in my own mind, in my own body. And what did I not have? Self-compassion. So I'm always this huge advocate and it takes a while to trust and unlearn and trust yourself again. But I think the power in that is that you are your own home. And if you can keep yourself safe, then you can put yourself in circumstances that maybe you couldn't before, knowing that you can extract yourself from that circumstances, you can protect yourself. Uh, and I think it can create such a more enriching life. You bring up such a good point, which is self-compassion is not an all or nothing thing. It's like you either have it or you don't. I, I think it's like the scale and it's starting with just the, the tiniest amount and then getting, letting that get more comfortable because I, I don't think for me, being kind to myself is not comfortable. Being yeah. generous with myself is not comfortable because my wiring was go faster, drive harder, do whatever it takes. You got to get there. You are so far behind. So getting more comfortable with it. And when I do, then I could take the next little step and then the next little step. And eventually I, I will be farther up on that scale. But and that's the only way for me that I'm going to get there is in increments. And I imagine that most people are the same way, it, that it's easy to say, I could never do that. I could never be that. But the reality is it's just one 
little step at a time. And we all have the capability of doing it. And I would say most of us need others to do it. Yeah. And getting curious at what comes up, right? Like when it's tough, what's coming up. So I recently went back to therapy. I'm in a state of transition. Transitions are always hard, but I've talked to one of our colleague coaches and we come, I'm always in a state of transition. I am a great career transitioner. <laughs> Maybe I'm like, I kind of like it, but it's, uh, it's one that's more destabilizing because the future is so unclear and it pushes me to want to go back to things that are familiar, even if they are not in our best interest. And so when I was leaning into that, I was like, you know what? Most self-compassionate thing to do. Well, the choices were one, avoid therapist because I know like that's what my comfort zone wants me to do, right? I don't want this person to challenge my maladaptive coping behaviors because they are familiar to me and everything else is completely, I, I have just, if someone asked me what I'm doing, I'm like, I have zero idea. I don't know where I'm going to be in the next year. I don't know what I'm going to be doing. I just know I'm not going to be doing what I'm currently doing because I'm done with that. So, so it's like, it's like, that's a lot of unknown. And when I can just give myself self-compassion and develop trust with myself, it prevents me from grabbing onto something that's not in my best interest. And it has tuned me into what do you really need right now? Like, what do you need? So rather than think like you are saying, we have to keep fighting and keep the hustle. I'm like, but I don't want to step into another job that that's the culture, that it's another hustle. So the intentions are make sure what I'm sitting in, stepping into is going to align with the healing journey that I've been on and not be a step back. Because I'm just, you know, you're at that breaking point. I'm personally at that breaking point. I'm like, I cannot go through another deep experience of burnout without having the tools to know that it's just a period of time and that I have prepared myself for a better future. Isn't there an old saying, jumping out of the fire and into the frying pan? Have you heard that? It's... It, in my mind, it, it's thinking about like, I had serial relationships with people that it, it didn't bring out my best and I didn't bring out their best, but I would go from one to the next to the next. And it, at the moment, it seemed like a great idea. Like the next person's so much better until they're not. And the next person's so much better until they're not. And what I hear you describing is it, you don't want to do that. Yeah. You're like, if I'm going to jump, I want to jump on something that's nice and receptive and ready for me and welcoming. And that's a place that I can grow. It's a place that I can develop. It's a place I can contribute to. That's yeah. what I hear you saying. In the live it to give it, right? It's like, I want to help people to do this. And so what would it look like for me to live it, to give it? And so there's that internal thought process, right? That's like, okay, if I were to choose something that is makes sense according to what I've already done. It makes sense on paper. People keep saying you should do these jobs because on paper, it really makes sense with what I've done. But yeah. what I know is where I've been isn't where I want to go. So I have to trust myself because the easy thing to do would be like, you're right. I'm just going to go on this linear path. That's not actually linear at all. <laughs> like it's, it's not linear. And so we have, you know, the whole sunk cost fallacy 
about like trying to make what we've done fit so that we don't believe that we wasted all this time training for something that then we don't use it anymore. But I'm like, my sunk cost will be if I'm already have been aware that I am ready to move on. I've spent 10 years in utilizing my dental degree of some nature and I'm ready. And it would be a huge disservice to try to put myself back into a box, but it makes that unknown even more <laughs> unknown. And that can be exciting as well. Yeah. I heard, I, I was listening to a talk and it talked about the, there is no way around. It is the way through. And in my mind, just listening to you, like I try to find all these ways around and some of them resort to who I used to be or what I used to do or things that are familiar and comfortable that where I don't have to stretch myself at all. And what I realized is for me, growth is going through and knowing that I'm not going through alone and knowing that there are a lot of resources, some that are probably unrecognized that are going to help me get through. Cause what's on the other side is so worth it. Yeah. I think that's why I'm going back to the place where my whole life changed, you know, to sit in that because there's this element of lack of closure. And I don't think we always get closure, but there's just this feeling that I need to be there to process because I think without the closure, I'm more likely to want to go and finish this residency that I left behind. There's this quote in chapter five from Tara Brock. She says, the way out of our cage begins with accepting absolutely everything about ourselves and our lives by embracing with care our moment to moment experience. And I think that quote is so important because you know, in an effort to want to avoid that pain of processing through, we might resort to what's Again, familiar. It's not always comfortable, but it's familiar. Yeah. I think you bring up just so, so many things that are really useful for me and also for anyone listening, which is it's okay to want what you want. If you want closure, fantastic. It's, it's, it's great to want what you want and not to question it. Why do I need this? Why do I have to have this? Why can't I move on? Like, these are things that my mind would come up with. I don't have it as bad as other people. Why am I still here? <laughs> like all of those things, none of that, in my mind, none of that chatter is helpful and none of it is necessary. But getting back to, I, I can want what I want and I can work towards it and I can continually reevaluate because there, there might be a time when you just say, you know what? I don't need this anymore. I don't want this anymore. I'm good. Great. I, I recently shut down my coaching business and I, I felt it felt a lot like Forrest Gump when he just stopped running and, and he was like, okay, I'm done. It's time to go home. I, mm -hmm. I kind of felt that way. Like I'm good. This has taken me to such amazing places. Like I'm good. It's given me skills that I can use in so many different ways. I'm good. I don't, I don't need to run anymore. Yeah. And that's a great example. It just, you're setting an example for so many because oftentimes, you know, where the permission to pivot comes is like, we're, we're afraid to give ourselves permission to pivot and comparing ourselves and not knowing when to let things go. But like you said, you're not letting things go and all is lost. You've gained so much 
and grown so much. And your example, when you first stated it, it brought me relief because I said, you know what, this one-on-one coaching for me doesn't feel like it's the right time. Going back to your word of stillness for the year. I was like, there's something about it that I feel like I'm, I'm putting out too much energy right now. And I need to step it back because I'm in a state of huge (laughs) transition. And I'm like, so, you know, I'm like, no, I have so much to offer, but I will have so much to offer in a year, in two years, in three years. Like, it's not to say I'm going to close this down forever. I think at some point I'll want to do group and and one-on-one coaching, but I like the idea of being part of system like of like a business that also does it so you can collaborate so I'm like I know about myself I was feeling very lonely as like a one-on-one coach so I contracted my coaching to a business and it's not healthcare and that was on purpose for a while just to see what you know humans outside of healthcare are like we all deal with the same stuff it just it got I love people I love working with people in healthcare but I needed part of my mind to just be able to explore just humans and get to know people that are doing other things. And I think it will make me a better, a better coach for when I go back uh, to coaching more people with, within healthcare. Yeah. And leaving it open. I think so many of us high achievers, we want certainty. We want to know door open or closed. Am I walking towards it? Am I through it? Am I on the other side of it? What's the next door? When am I going to get there? Rather than to be in this space of, I don't know when it's going to come. I don't know where the next door is. I don't need to know and being, being content, you know, Erin Wiseman used this word sometime this year. She said she was content and it wasn't a feeling that was that it was a feeling that was new to her. She was content. And I was thinking, how often do we let ourselves be content without the, you're not doing enough. You're not learning enough. You're not growing enough or you're, you know, just the, the chatter like to just be content and to say, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. This is amazing. The fact that you are considering wide ranging options for your future is amazing. The fact that you and I can have this conversation is amazing. The community that you have created through sharing your voice is amazing. This is a great place to be. And it's so fascinating too, because I'm grateful for people like you to say those things because, you know, with, with experiencing like my work, my life isn't worth living like that to me has been more of a chronic belief. And you were saying something about comparing, like, why do I think this way? You know, it's not as bad as other people. And lately, like when I, you know, when I get overwhelmed and exhausted, like those are the days, you know, it's really hard to forget where you've been immensely. So for people who have experienced suicidal ideation, they make it back into that darkness. And for me, it's often like, why am I experiencing this when like on paper, I'm fine, you know, and I'm like, but what do I need? Instead of judging myself, I started asking like, what do you need? And it's interesting, right? It just validates all I speak about. Cause I'm like, I am not in alignment right now with my mission and purpose in life. And a lot of the time I spend on my primary job takes away from my ability to focus on things that I find more meaningful for my contribution. And I love the people I work with. So I'm like, but I love the people. So you justify it. You're like, but it, you know, 
And I think just the exhaustion. So rather than reduce what I'm doing to recover, I was adding more things that were in alignment at the sacrifice of all of my energy. So that's why rather than when I signed up to contract with a coaching company, I'm like, I'm going to not accept one-on-one coaching clients and see where this goes. And interestingly, the onboarding for the company took a long time. And I kept getting like, gosh, this is taking forever. You know, I wasn't getting paired with anyone. And I was like, because that's exactly what you need. Right. I was just like, but that's exactly what you need. Like, do you have time to breathe? I'm like, oh, actually, thank goodness. You know, and it was, it's a very slow process going in. And I finally started getting matched with people. I'm like, yeah, that was exactly what I needed. I'm glad I didn't push to rush it or quit and try to go back to what I was doing because it wasn't going fast enough. And everyone listening needs to know that that that's one of the things that you're doing. Like your whole life is changing. You're running. You set a, a, yeah. a impressive goal for this year. But not only did you set a number goal, but you set a way that you're going to do it goal, which is unlike times in the past that I, I think you've shared either on the podcast or or publicly. Yeah. So the difference with, thank you for, I love talking about running with Dina. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting. It's reclaiming running as something I love. And it used to be something I used against myself, very compulsive. I had a minimum number I had to hit daily or I wasn't worth nourishment. And it was so compulsive and I was exhausted in every other aspect of life because I would force myself to hit this number. And the conversations in my head you know, if anyone's here trying to run more, run and develop a positive relationship with running, I would first tune into your thoughts about running and your thoughts while running, because having a self-compassionate conversation with my head makes me want to go run more, right? If you have a bully in your head, do you really want to go run with that person? And then setting the goals that I would have to have of this big lofty goal at the end of the year and with a mission that's greater than myself to serve the patients with cancer, it has forced me to really stay well physically. So I can't run the same mileage I used to run because I, I would probably be more prone to risk injury and just be so sick of running. Um, so it has been a really good challenge. It- when I think about your life, I think about a diamond that your life has all of these, these, what are they called? Craters? <laughs> That's not diamonds. We'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> facets. That's what it is. There you they, go. These different facets. And it's like you're, it, you're taking so many of them and you're saying, I'm going to reclaim this one. And I'm going to reclaim this one. And I'm going to reclaim this one and this one and this one. And there is such beauty in it. Even if it feels like garbage, there is such beauty. It's like you're polishing each one to say, no, 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 this is mine. This is mine. And we're, we're going to look at it differently. And we're polishing it for me. And through that, I mean, the, the brilliance that comes from that, when the light shines on that, it just magnifies for everyone around you. So transition is a word, but it, it doesn't merely capture what your life is going through right now. And I say that as a way to really honor you. And I say that because I know that there are people listening that think they're beyond help. They think that their life is already, it's just done. It's going to be this way. This is as good as it gets. They can't do anything differently. 
And what I could say is that's BS. Yeah, It is absolutely a lie that every life can be salvaged and reclaimed and renewed and can be joyous. Yeah. And that, I think having a shared experience, right? You have friends of knowing. So would you like to kind of share on your journey, how you're polishing your facets? Yeah. So, so shutting down my, my coaching business was huge. Like that was, had become so much of my identity, but then I, I realized what is it that I want my identity to be? And, and there's, there's one word I want it to be about love, to love as purely, as cleanly, as kindly, as honestly as possible. That when people come up, that they feel seen, they feel known, and they feel loved. And they have a sense of hope that no matter what is surrounding them, that is not as good as it gets. Because you know that we are, we're surrounded by such challenging things. You can't walk down the street without seeing something challenging, but I don't want that to be my worldview. Yeah. I want it to be really about love and and about sharing a message that when we come together, amazing things happen. When we set down the defenses, amazing things happen. Because for so long, my life was up-armored. I was like the up-armored Humvee going into battle all the time and keeping people out that you can't get close. You can't see me. I'll show you what you can see. And that's as good as it gets, but really living an up armored life, a disarmed life and a disarmed life of peace. And so it's been just polishing or, or it's been really just kind of taking mud off of some areas. It's been polishing some areas. It's been letting go of some areas. So like right now I'm doing more CrossFit to develop core strength because running wasn't going so well. So getting back to the foundations spending more time in my faith, getting back to, to a foundation, spending time on our marriage, getting back to a foundation to say that the root structure of my life has to be strong because that's how it's going to flow through me. Mm. Yeah. And I was picturing too, you know, I think you've always been a place of love and, and I'm, I love everything that you're leaning into and appreciate your openness about your journey. Cause I think that shared openness is what allows us all to start putting down our walls. And one thing that really put down my wall. So I used to I'll give an example of prom, you know, I would go to prom and I would leave as quickly as possible. Right. Cause if someone spent too much time with me, they may not like me anymore. So the challenge would be if you spent overnight with somebody, right? Not just relationships, but like friends, right? So we're going to a conference and you were invited to stay in the same room with somebody. Well, oh my gosh, it's like to me, I'm like, oh my God, they're going to like, they're going to hate me because I wake up super early. I can't sleep very well. And like all this stuff. Right. But they also probably have things that like they maybe make me think of the same thing or like, Oh my gosh, I, what if we're going to, we're going to be in the room, same house for so many days. And like, Oh my God, I'm going to have to go to the bathroom and how embarrassing it is that I'm human. And that's something that we do. And so when you have those friends, like those huge hurdles to me and like those big wins that we accomplish with friends, it starts to teach you that everything that you thought, like that's like, could be a small step for somebody. Like for me, that was like a, a giant leap for mankind. But it's just, you know, when you're thinking about, so life can't be different. When I was in oral surgery, 
And I thought I either had to finish my residency or take my own life. The psychologist said, or what? And I was blank. I was so blank. And what it taught me was that if we are so exhausted, we can't think clearly. You need to rest. Once you rest, you can get into that creative mind and you think about much more opportunities. And then you can see more clearly like, wow, that was really interesting that my brain offered me that I had to finish this residency because the guilt and shame of quitting would have been so bad that my life would be no longer living. But it's true to us at the time. Right. And our colleagues suffer with it. If I'm not a doctor, what am I? What am I going to do? How am I going to earn an income? Like that all or nothing. I have to stay at a full-time job that I hate to pay the bills, pay back the loans. There is nothing else. And, and, oh, that hurts my heart because it's not true. It's just not true. So Dr. Neff makes the distinction between self-esteem and self-compassion. I wrote that down too. (laughs) I thought that was so, so good. Yeah. Self-esteem is an evaluation of self-worth. It's a judgment that we are good rather than bad. What do you think? Yeah, I wrote self-esteem is getting it right. And when we use self-esteem to determine our self-worth, it's very fleeting. It's very, what's not, what's the word? It's very, it's not vulnerable, but what's the word for easily breakable, friable? Yes, that's a great word. You know, you just, it's something it comes fleeting, right? It's not stable. And then you get, so I got to a point where if I got a 99, I perseverate around that one point and other people from many cultures do that too, right? It's like, if I get a hundred, then I'm content. But if I get a 99, I'm worthless. Therefore, anything is you're setting yourself up for failure. And so self-compassion is you're giving yourself permission to be human. And so if you use self-compassion and ground yourself worth on self-compassion, it's much more stable. Right. I, I love that. That self-esteem is so subject to the environmental conditions and can be blown one way or blown another way. And it, it's not something that's firmly rooted, whereas self-compassion is. It's firmly rooted because you can bring it out anytime. And you can say, you can't, we can't possibly get it right every time. And when I work with students, I'm like, you're not going to be right every time. So we need a process. We need a foundation. We need to understand the reasoning so that we can explain it. When things go right, we can explain it. When things go wrong, we can explain it. And all along the way, we can make sure the person we're serving is on board and that they agree with this way ahead or their input is taken into account and we look for another way. In our education system, it it highly focuses on outcomes. And what that teaches us is the outcome so important is the most important thing when really the process is so important. And so oftentimes we're so focused on the outcome. We're never focused on the here and now in the process. So one thing I realized for me as I'd had really bad performance anxiety because I was focused on the outcome versus just focusing on each step it took to get the desired outcome. So if I could just focus on the here and now, I would have gotten a better outcome with a lot less anxiety you know, not debilitating anxiety and how that translates to life. Right. But we practice this philosophy for so long. If you're in the U S healthcare or U S education system, we focus on grades so much. It's, it's the outcome and not how much can I learn and, and really allowing yourself to be curious and learn and just be this lifelong learner, enjoy the process of learning. 
So Dr. Neff builds on what you said. So self-esteem is about getting it right. Self-compassion is about opening our hearts. Like, ah, I feel that. Yeah. I like the part, and you mentioned this about PTSD. And that is something that, boy, it, it hurts my heart. I deployed and after I got back, I would occasionally see somebody I deployed with. I attached to a unit that was at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. So nobody from where I was stationed was there. Everyone, I think most everyone was an augmentee to this unit for deployment. So occasionally I would see somebody come back and I, I would hear what they, what their experience was like since they'd been home and what they were struggling with. And, ah, it's hard. The not enoughness, the should have done something else, the wasn't good enough. I'm like, oh, boy, does that play a role in PTSD. In the moral injury, and I related a lot. So when I was at the VA and reading the PTSD sign and the symptoms, it was it was so much related to what people experience in healthcare, right? It's, did I do enough? Am I enough? And I think, you know, when people think of PTSD, they're like, I can't have it because I didn't go to war. And I'm like, I think there's a lot of people who work in healthcare that are high risk for PTSD and appreciating the, the shared experiences of moral injury from being somewhere that may not have aligned with your values and seen something that you couldn't stop from happening uh, and then being having a human reaction and not processing it, you know, being ashamed maybe, or just not processing it so it gets stored in your body and then you judge yourself and compact the trauma that you've experienced. And like we've talked about earlier, we tell ourselves, I didn't have it that bad. Yeah. It wasn't that bad. Like we, we censor ourselves and we minimize it yet. It continues to perseverate. So chapter seven, meeting our own needs. I just want to get your thoughts on this sentence in order to alleviate our own suffering. We have to take our needs seriously and value ourselves enough to meet them. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I think you have to repeat that one daily. Uh, and the similar <laughs> sentence I wrote that down was meeting our new own needs is a gift to the world. Yeah, it's not wired and it wasn't wired in me. And I don't think I'm alone. No, because we think, oh, it, you're so self-centered. You're so selfish. When we have people in our lives who are more self-centered and we meet their demands, then those are the same people that will give us the message that once we start to take care of ourselves, that we're self-centered. I've have, have had many of those circumstances that trained me well on that one. So there's a job in my community with a, a what sounds like a really neat organization to be part of the administrative team. And I, I thought about it. I talked with, with someone who works there who was very generous and said, hey, I think this is something for you to consider. And the more I thought about it, the more I was just like, there's a distinction in my life at this time, which is it has to be about more than something I can do. Like there has to be this internal fire for it. Like this is, this is what I meant to do. This is what I was born to do. And that's, it's expecting a lot to say, this yeah. is what I was born to do. And so I, I easily just kind of thought, I thought about it. And then I was like, no, I don't think God is calling me to do this. There's not that excitement in there. And so then there's another job that 
came up at a place that looks interesting. You remember a year ago or so, I think I, I shared that I felt called back to serve soldiers and I thought it was going to be in uniform and that road hit a dead end or several dead ends. And so there's an opportunity in a military hospital to work as a hospitalist. Wow. And so I've applied to a few different ones. I had an interview a week ago. Oh my, yeah. this is new information to me. I want to hear all about this. <laughs> and it was, I, I felt so alive during the interview, like excited to share how I think about patients, how I think about teaching, how I infuse mindset coaching, how I work on my own mindset, how I discern what's important versus what's interesting, how I communicate, why, why a team approach in hospital medicine just brings a lot of great energy to the patient's care. Like it, the interview felt so good. And I thought, when did, when do I feel most alive at the bedside, taking care of an acutely ill patient and teaching that is where I feel most alive. So it feels like this is the direction I'm being called to. This is the direction I want to go that I'm excited to go. I'm curious because I'm in that place of I can't control the outcome. I can only infuse the energy. Uh, and it's really exciting. At the end of the interview, I thought this is someplace that that feels very special to be part of, which is super exciting. And the other thing that I thought at the end of the interview, I really like this woman who interviewed. Like I genuinely showed up as myself with something to offer, something to give, some insight to share about just how I have viewed life in uniform and after uniform. Like I, I feel really proud of myself for that and realize that every single thing that has happened on, on the whole scale of sucks beyond belief to absolutely amazing has prepared me for this time in life. And I'm so thankful for it. I love it. I love that. I'm really excited to see where that leads. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know I right bet. now. Yeah. And it, it resonates when you were saying, like, I was looking at our job postings, like what's available. And I was like, mm. <laughs> you know, like, mm, mm, and then uh, during an interview, I, somebody said, well, what kind of position you want? I'm like leadership in like wellness, you know? And they're like, oh, well, you know, it's going to take a while to get there. And I'm like, what the heck? And I was like, the fire within me, it wasn't oh, I, I agree with you. I'm not qualified. It was like, what? Who is she to tell me? I've been, I've been postdoc for 10 years. I've been in the military for four and a half years. I've been leaders in all these different arenas. And I'm like, oh, you know what? She taught me a lot about myself. And I'm like, I am ready. And I said, well, what would it, what would it take for me to on paper look ready and create that appearance like uh okay well what is she how is she judging me right based off of like a cv or what because i i think helping people with their wellness in a system base where we often think it's broken like the va <laughs> is where i really feel passionate about this quality improvement interestingly enough when i was leaning into okay well I felt like I kept pigeonholing myself into what was more comfortable. Like you said, like can do it. What would be like a reach and like really feel, feel my fire and met with this doctor who's in charge of all of whole health at the VA. And he's like, you sound like a, a CWO, a chief wellness officer. And then I was like, oh my gosh, but you know, what are the people going to think? I look really young. And like, I was given all me these reasons, but 
he, he connected me with other people that are in the VA that recruit for this position. So I met with them and we were talking about, like, I had looked at this chief wellness officer certification program probably for the past year. And they're like, oh, is this certain doctor part of that? I'm like, no, I don't think so. Cause I only knew the other one. Turns out that the co-director of the program I was looking at actually is at my current institution. And oh. it was just like all these stars aligning. We talked for two hours. I signed up for the program. And I was like, this is it. When I think about what do I write about? What do I talk about all day? What do I feel comfortable leaning into? And if I don't have the skills now that I'm just roaring to get them so that I can take this fierce self-compassion and spread it over all these people that need help. Because when it comes to that individual level of wellness, I'm like, you can only go so far. Like you have to be infused in the system. And the system has to be willing to change. And if it's not, then you take your services elsewhere. But I'm like, but I'm going to give this a go. <laughs> and, if, and if they're willing to open their hearts and open their minds to something that's way more sustainable for their employees and better service to their patients, then I would like to lead that endeavor. And that's what fear self-compassion offers is a, you go girl, I gotcha from the inside. Yeah. All right. Final thoughts. We've covered a whole range of topics. <laughs> I think the final thoughts and the final questions I would pose to the audience and for us to explore as we're continuing to lean into these paths, and I love what you just ignited there, is the what do I need and what do I want? How about you? And yeah. And what I'd say is it doesn't have to be practical. Yeah. So at another time, we'll talk, Craig and I are on a car search and boy, the practical versus the want versus the need. Those oh, columns, you need a, I know those you columns need. <laughs> look very different and it's really, it's all mindset. Yeah. Like why not have something we want? Yeah. Like a black Mustang convertible. <laughs> <laughs> Right? Are we going to see you in one of those soon for for more of a primary basis here or what? <laughs> it's going to be fun. I will tell you that. I, yeah. I, no spoiler alert on this one, though, Jillian. So what I what I would say is, I, I would challenge anyone listening to say, why not you? Why not you? Because so many of us say, no, nah, it can't be me. It can't be me. I can't change it's too late. I'm too old. It's too broken, whatever it is, but why not? Why not? Cause I know when I think about what was I born for it's here, but this is not the stopping point. This is the, like the turbo is coming on. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Martha Beck has a change cycle that starts with phase one, which is death and rebirth. And I, that's what I feel like we're in right now is this massive rebirth, death of the parts that we want to let go of and a rebirth of the new, not the new us, but, you know, different versions of what we maybe thought we, our lives were going to be in the past and a rebirth of what we want in this current stage of life. Right. With what we know now. Yeah. All right. Dear friend, that is part two. I think we've got one more part. Yeah, we do. And then hopefully a conversation with Tracy. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be good stuff. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you.